Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as we wake up uh, to discover that Brexit has actually shifted off almost all of the front pages today. But don't worry, uh, we will keep you updated on the latest manoeuvrings from Downing Street and a new poll uh, that shows that 35% of Remainers now believe the referendum result should be respected. Not quite sure what they mean by that, but I'm pretty sure that's a pretty important shift from the point of view of those people who voted to leave. There's still no sign of an election, but Boris has come up with a fantastic plan to build a bridge between Northern Ireland and Scotland. What could possibly go wrong? And can you imagine, if we're not going to get HS2 until something like 2037, how long would it take them to actually build a bridge from one part of Britain to the other across the Irish Sea? I suggest to you we wouldn't see it done until about 2050. Coming up this morning, we are addressing a problem that simply refuses to go away. We've talked about it before. Uh, that is, of course, that yesterday there were 86 migrants intercepted trying to cross the English Channel, the largest number in any one single day ever, which suggests, obviously, that the problem is getting worse rather than better. Uh, there's people coming in from Iran. There's people coming in from Iraq. Yesterday, some of the people caught were from Vietnam. Some of them were coming from the Philippines. Once again, I'll be asking the question, what happens to them once they are intercepted and where on earth do they end up? We'll be talking to Chris Hobbs, former Metropolitan Police officer, a man who knows a thing or two uh, about illegal immigration. Also coming up later on, we'll be joined by Piers Corbyn with his view on a new United Nations-inspired climate change education certificate. That's right, you can now apply for funding to teach eco-propaganda in schools all over Britain. Marvellous, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. Labour MP Steve McCabe also joins us with his take on the Brexit row currently engulfing his party. Keir Starmer is currently speaking to the TUC down in Brighton. And uh, Tom Watson, the deputy leader, will apparently be launching his own campaign to stay in the European Union a little bit later on. And also I'll be asking if it's really a good idea for the army to ban smoking. You can get killed in the army. I think you should be allowed to have a cigarette once in a while, shouldn't you? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So once again, we have to cast our eyes down to Dover because Dover is where most of the illegal immigration seems to be going on in this country. Yesterday, 86 migrants were intercepted trying to cross the English Channel in small dinghies. I think the border force cutter Seeker was deployed, managed to intercept the vessels, even though they're being told that they shouldn't try and cross the English Channel because one, it's a very busy shipping lane. It's also a very dangerous part of the world. Five separate small dirigible boats were carrying uh, people from as far afield as the Philippines, from Vietnam, uh, from Iran, from Iraq. It's very clear that nothing that we are doing at the moment is preventing or stopping people from trying to get to Britain. Because what they know is once they get to Britain, they will never leave. Let's talk to Chris Hobbs and find out why this cannot be fixed. Chris, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, to have the biggest number of uh, migrants intercepted, illegal migrants intercepted in one day happening now, tells me that this situation is getting worse rather than better. Um, I think it is. I think 
there's a couple of reasons. One, of course, we're heading out of summer, so they're going to take advantage while they can of, of the good weather. That isn't necessarily going to stop them, of course, from trying during the winter months. Um, we've also got Brexit looming, and as I understand it, it's being sold really as our borders will be much tougher after Brexit, so get across while you can. Oh, so what the people smugglers are actively telling people, you know, you better do it now. Exactly, and yeah. of course, um, you know, I know your views on Brexit, but the borders are going to be anything but more solid after Brexit if it's a no deal. But of course, that doesn't stop them selling the fact that, yeah, Brexit, Britain toughens up its borders. Well, I see, I find this to be a bit of an anomaly, really, because if we're being told, for example, that if after Brexit, and it's a no-deal Brexit, we won't be able to get any lorries across the Channel, why would the border actually be uh, any more easy to breach if you're an illegal immigrant? There's a number of reasons, really. Um, the, the, part of the question is cooperation. I mean, one thing there is at the moment, there is some cooperation between us and European police forces. Now, if we crash out, um, we're told that we will lose access to um, databases, we'll be kicked out of Europol. Well, we're told a lot of things, aren't we? But whether or not they actually happen to, to come true, we don't know. What we do know is at the moment it doesn't work particularly well, does it? Well, no, it doesn't. And... I think, I think basically the criteria for sending people back... I mean, you might remember there's been agreements, isn't there, with the French, and we're told, yes, well, if they get here, they're going to be sent back. Now, clearly that isn't happening. I think the last figures are something like 100 possibly being sent back, but that's out of over, well over, probably around 14, 15, maybe more, 100 that have actually arrived here. And I think the criteria is, although I haven't had this confirmed, is that if, if you're an asylum seeker that's been registered somewhere else in Europe with your fingerprints and photograph and so on, and you turn up here and you're compared against the European database and you come up, we can send you back. Mm. But, of course, a but lot we're of not allowed to send anybody back to their country of origin if, no. in fact, we fear that in that country of origin they might be in danger. That's right. But we can send them back into Europe. But, of course, what a lot of people who want to get here will do is avoid giving their biometric details. So when they come here, there is no record of them in Europe. And that means they go into the asylum process. Now, we've not got enough. Our detention space really is extremely limited. So, basically, they come here, they're housed, they go into the asylum process, which, as we know, is a bureaucratic nightmare. That can take months or years. Uh, in the meantime, they're housed. They're not allowed to work, but they are given a sort of a, a basic living allowance. Yes, uh, and, and these course, are people, I'm assuming, who have got money because they're obviously being ripped off no end by the actual uh, traffickers themselves, right? They're paying thousands of pounds to come here. So they're able to raise money in some way. They're not destitute. No, um, um, that is, that's a good point. It can cost as much if you're, if you're doing the top end, the luxury, as it were, move across Europe. It will, um, it will cost you probably somewhere, somewhere between ten and £20,000 um, to get across and you, you will be given, as it were, passage to the UK if that's where you want to end up. And, of course, the people smugglers want to succeed because it's like any business. You know, you'll get a reputation for success and that will boost your business. Um, at the bottom end of the scale, of course, you've got people who get into debt. In other words, they're being trafficked. So they don't pay much money up front, if any. They'll get to the UK and then they'll be working, as it were, to pay off their debt indefinitely, which is a pretty horrible position to be in. But that, that's at the, the other end of the scale. And then, of course, you've got the people that have come across from Africa 
who probably when they get to the, the coast, they're pretty much skin anyway, and they'll have to try and scrape some money together or jump on the lorry of their own volition. But right. they probably won't be getting across by dinghy unless somehow they can maybe steal one and, and get across that way. So there's, there's all sorts of routes and methods and um, means of transport to get yourself and various sort of cost implications, luxury or basic. Yes, of course. But presumably as well, if people come into this country um, having come here illegally, having been provided with housing because that's what their human right is, they can't work. So therefore they have to also be given benefits. Just before you answer that, let me just break a little bit of news here. The Scottish courts have ruled that Boris Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament is unlawful, apparently. You might remember that uh, the first time the case was heard, it was chucked out, it was appealed, it's now gone to a higher court, and the higher court has apparently ruled that Boris Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament is in fact unlawful. This is despite the fact that the original court case uh, ruled in fact that it was not uh, a, a, any business of the judiciary and it was a political decision. More on that as soon as we have it. We'll find out precisely what has gone on here and what the implications are for it. Chris, sorry to uh, interrupt oh, myself there Chris. as I was asking you a question, <laughs> but uh, you know, this uh, news doesn't stand still very long on this particular <laughs> subject. But you know, so they are in receipts basically of housing and um, benefits presumably. Well, that's right. I think the benefits are, are, are pretty low. It's, it's very much like thirty-odd pound a week or something like that. Yeah, I know, but it's still the kind of thing that really winds people up, isn't it? Where you go, well, why don't you just walk into the country, do it illegally, uh, don't get arrested. Instead, you get a house and you get money. Uh, yeah, and the other problem, of course, is that the Home Office generally is a complete and utter shambles. The yeah. asylum backlog is absolutely massive. And, of course, if, if you wish... Um, you, you can either disappear into community straight away if you're not picked up by the border force. Now, one thing what we don't know is how many people make it here and are never discovered. Mm. Um, I was doing an interview yesterday and we were talking about the Dorset, Devon, Cornwall coastline and the East Coast coastline. Yes. And how many people will possibly go through there, which are virtually undefended and never be detected. And, of course, if you are an asylum seeker... Um, or, or, and you're in the system, and, and maybe you feel it's not going your way, then, of course, you've got the option of disappearing into your own community if, if you so wish. Right. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? As, as you say, the Home Office is not brilliant at any of this, really, and uh, despite the fact that they're supposedly tightening up on it, it doesn't appear to be the case that, that they are, because... We only really know at the end of the day about the sorts of people who are coming in to South East England because, you know, we can see that we've got the, uh, the Coast Guard cutter, we've got the Royal Navy involved. You know, if they're going to come anywhere near Dover or Rye or, or even Hastings, you know, they're likely to be picked up by, by the authorities. But if they go somewhere further up north, for example, like East Anglia or even up to Yorkshire, which I know is a more arduous crossing, nobody's going to know. No, that's right. And... And there's certainly cases of where, for example, they'll use bigger vessels, they'll use luxury yachts, catamarans, fishing boats um, to move people. And then, of course, if they drop them off by rubber dinghy and take the rubber dinghy back on board, not leave it on the beach where people can say, hello, we've had a landing here, then, of course, um, they'll be able to do it again and again and again, possibly without being discovered. Although there have been some interceptions, um, which obviously gives us a heads up that this is going on. Um, it, it is worrying, and as I say, there is some cooperation with the French. People have been arrested, but these, these trafficking networks are vast. 
they are, they are huge. There's many of them. And as soon as you cut one head off, then another couple of heads appear. Mm. I do get that. I know that one of the times we've spoken about this before, Chris, I was asking about how easy it is to gain access to one of these sort of dirigible dinghies. And I think, I don't know if it was you that told me or somebody else, that, that there are shops in northern France, basically, where you can just go and buy a sort of DIY cross-the-channel kit, you know, which involves a dirigible dinghy for quite a lot of money. Uh, the traffickers will take to the store, they'll buy it, they'll help you pay for it, uh, and then off you go to the nearest sort of beach and just get in it. Yes, I mean, I've heard the same thing, but I've also heard that the, the there is now some sort of offence in France if you do that. Um, if you do sort of sell to someone who's a trafficker, but how many convictions there have been in relation to that, I don't know, probably very few. And it's not going to be difficult to get your hands on an inflatable, even if you've got to buy them here. Right. But surely they could do something about that, couldn't they? Could they not make it impossible to sell these things? I mean, I know that that sounds mad, but, I mean, to stop the sale of of dirigible boats, but I'm sure that they could enforce something like that, couldn't they? Well, I think if if you looked at it in reverse, Mike, if if you did that, and, and maybe the traffickers would get them here and ship them back over the channel to, to be used again. And you certainly wouldn't want to impose that here. There would be an absolute outcry, wouldn't there, if you said, right, you can't buy ribs. No, of course, but I'm saying in, in where, where they're mostly being bought, which is in France, they could possibly be a bit more helpful, which I get the sense that they're not being very helpful to us at all about any of this. There is cooperation, but, I, I, you know, the pe- arrests have been made. Um, trafficking networks have been broken up. And the French do intercept. They've intercepted several hundred uh, that they've turned back um, who've tried to get here. So the French are doing something. But, of course, when they get back into France, having failed, then they're free to try again. Right. And, uh, and it is very difficult. And, again, you'd have to say as well, the French have got their own issues with the people who've claimed asylum and with migrants there. And, of course, they're probably secretly thinking, well, yes, if, we can, if a few of them, if we can get rid of some who aren't going to be a burden to us, to the UK, well, so be it. And, of course, that issue, going back to Brexit again, could well um, become quite a major problem, again, in the event of a no deal, because the French could just, well, give the Gallic shrug and say, yes, all right, you know, that we don't want them to be our problem anymore. They can be yours. You're not part of our system anymore. You're not part of Europol. You've got no access to our databases. Um, Off you go. Get on with it yourselves. Yeah. Amazing state of affairs, really. Chris, thanks very much indeed. Chris Hobbs there talking to us about how helpless we appear to be, uh, even as, as we are in the European Union right now, stopping anyone from being able to come here at will uh, in a, uh, a dirigible dinghy, if you like, uh, knowing that they will get money, knowing that they will get housed, knowing that they will get fed, knowing that they will be looked after, and more than likely, they will not be sent back from whence they came. Which is unbelievable, isn't it? We've got more people coming in on one single day. 86 people intercepted yesterday. It seems to me uh, that the system is going very, very badly wrong. And I'm sorry, I don't buy this nonsense that it will be worse after Brexit. Because how much worse, how much more bad could it be? And actually, we will be in a much better position, presumably, to stop people from coming in because we will no longer be able to welcome them as part of the Federation of the European Union. 0344 499 1000. Speaking of which, I need your calls on this, by the way. We'll be talking to some experts to find out precisely what this decision in Scotland means. Boris Johnson's prorogation of Parliament has been ruled unlawful, uh, is the breaking news, by a court in Scotland. The news has been announced by a rather delighted uh, Labour MP, QC Joanna Cherry, uh, who's one of the MPs in Edinburgh, who said on Twitter, all three judges in Scotland's highest court of appeal rule that prorogation is unlawful. We'll tell you what that means, we'll find out what that means, but we want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000. Do we have to go 
go back to the drawing board. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Breaking rocks in a hot sun. I fall for law in a low one. I fall for law in a low one. I need him money cause I had none. I fall for law in a low one. I fall for law in a low one. Well, just when you thought things couldn't get any more surreal than they have been over the past few weeks and months, uh, it turns out now uh, that the Queen gave her royal assent to a bill uh, which prorogued Parliament for the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, and that has now been ruled unlawful by a Scottish court. Alex Dibble is here, uh, Talk Radio's uh, roving reporter, to tell us what on earth is going on. Alex, what is happening? This is Scotland's highest civil court. The ruling last week when the case went to the court in Scotland was that Boris Johnson hadn't done anything unlawful, that the prorogation was legal. That was then appealed to a higher court and three judges have just ruled this morning that the prorogation of Parliament for five weeks from uh, Monday evening this week to the middle of October is unlawful. Mm. Now, of course, the question is, what happens next? Yes. They have not ordered the UK government to reverse the prorogation. Right. They want the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom, which is the highest court in the land, to make that final decision. Okay. So the Supreme Court will probably have to rule on this, convene almost immediately mm. because of the urgency of this. Well, they've already convened or said they will convene on the 17th of September to hear the Gina Miller case, which is the same as this one, basically, which was also turned down by an earlier by a High Court decision uh, last week, right? So we've now perhaps got these two cases which will come together. Quite possibly. They are separate cases. So if people have heard about Gina Miller and, and her case, that they are distinct separate cases. But if the Supreme Court have already planned to convene for that, the chances are that they will either hear them together or hear them consecutively. Now, what's interesting, though, is that the SMP, because it was many of the SMP MPs who brought this case, they are already calling for Parliament to be recalled. So Joanna Cherry, who is one of the main uh, proponents and, and bringers of this legal challenge, says that recall should happen immediately. Immediately, uh, Tommy Shepherd, another SNP outside court in Edinburgh, said that MPs should be able to be at Parliament to represent their constituents in light of this morning's decision. OK. Let's uh, talk to Jerry Hayes, uh, barrister, former Tory MP. Alex, thanks very much indeed. Jerry, uh, very good morning to you. I didn't realise we'd be talking to you quite so soon since, well, our last, uh, since our last engagement. What is going on in Scotland? How can they make it unlawful when the Queen has already given her royal assent well, to it? you see, I think that's very because I don't see how the prorogation can be unlawful at all, because it's a matter for the Queen, uh, and the Queen is above the law. You know, you, you right. can't tell the Queen what to do. I think what they will be meaning is that the advice that the Prime Minister gave the Queen to prorogue was unlawful. Now, you've got a number of contradictions here, haven't you? Because you've got what was said by the Lord Chief Justice not so long ago. He said, no, this is really a matter for high politics, high policy, really you can't have the courts interfering with that. Also, as your reporter said a moment ago, you've got the Gina Miller case coming in on uh, the 17th. Yeah. I imagine the government will appeal all of this, but this is where it gets really, really interesting. They will ask for what's called discovery. In other words, disclose all sorts of things. And what people are interested in is the rumour, and I'm told it's quite a good rumour, uh, from very good sources in newspapers, that 
the government was very clear that the whole advice, the whole idea of proposing Parliament was to actually put a stop to the bill, which is, which is now law. And they said, no, it's nothing to do with it. Now, there are meant to be secret texts and emails from Dominic Cummings saying just that. Now, this is the, this is the story. Well, when you say, this, this is the is interesting true. thing, I mean, I was speaking yeah. to a, a, a colleague of yours uh, uh, yesterday about yeah. this, and uh, he said that the interesting fact now is that uh, Dominic Greaves' kind of uh, statement, his, his whole idea, the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the demand from him to see all these private messages is based on his belief that they exist. Now... Since they don't exist, you can't necessarily, or you don't know if they exist, you can't look, I go on a fishing expedition, it was what I was told yesterday. Well, no, I mean, the court will probably make an order. I want to see all, and it would be the court, not, not for, the, for the parties, to have a look. And if people have been lying to the court, and don't forget, in the, in the last case, there were no affidavits from Number 10 Downing Street or any senior civil servant, which makes one rather suspicious. The trouble is, in this sort of fog of war, we become suspicious of everything. Uh, <laughs> it does be, well, this is, is the double. point. I mean, you forget what it is that we're actually trying to do yeah. because you're all too busy talking to lawyers and getting legal decisions and all <laughs> sorts of things. And it seems to me uh, that the Scottish court has, from what Alex said, ordered um, the Supreme Court or asked for the Supreme Court to kind of sort it all out. Yeah. So... While yeah. they've said it's illegal, um, uh, why on earth can they then not make the next step, which is to say it should be reversed? Uh, I don't think it can be reversed, actually. I really don't think it can be reversed. Uh, and you haven't got much time now because you've got Lib Dem... Um, comp well, you've got the conference season starting. It starts, always starts with the CEC and we're going to move towards that. The big issue here, I suspect, is did Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings lie to Parliament for the reason of the prorogation. Well, what they've said, of course, as well, uh, is that they prorogue Parliament at this time of year all the time, every single time uh, yeah. September comes around, Parliament is prorogued for conference season. So we're yeah. talking about maybe an extra four or five days of prorogation. Yeah. So surely this, this decision and this ruling is actually incorrect because well, to prorogue Parliament as you do every single year is not illegal. Yeah, if it's the reasons, and it's the reasons which is important. Yeah, but they'll, I mean, never, I, they'll, they'll never get to that, will they? Well, I don't know. This is, this, this is look, nothing is, much is going to happen regarding Parliament coming back. I mean, there'll be screams and shouts and the usual sort of stuff, and people will come on your programme, and each side will give the party line whatever it is. But the public will want to know the truth. Did Boris Johnson lie to the British people? I don't know. Did he lie to Parliament? That is very serious. And if there are these various emails and texts, well, um, this is where the story is going to be. This is where it's all leading to. Because you can't make the Queen, of uh, course, can't make the Queen come come back and say, you know, give me the Privy Council, we're going to open Parliament up again. And, and to discuss what? Uh, that's not going to happen. I'm not entirely sure that the Supreme... I don't know, of course, none of us know. That the Supreme Court will agree with what the Scottish Government said. I think when you've got someone like the Lord Chief Justice who says, come on, this is a matter for high policy, and also, you start to tell the precedent, don't you? Every decision that is made to advise the Queen to do a certain thing, you have the courts interfering. Nah, that's, that's, that's not a good idea. No, I think what they should actually do is, is something I've suggested many times before, is not prorogue Parliament, just shut it down altogether and just say, do you know what, we're going to carry on as we were, except we don't need a government, uh, we don't need a Parliament, because you guys don't seem to know what to do with it. 
Well, you've got the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. What Which, more do you need? I have to say, uh, Jerry runs much more efficiently than anything I've seen in Westminster. Thank you very much indeed, Jerry Hayes, barrister, former Tory MP, saying that even he is not entirely certain that this uh, Scottish court's decision is either one correct, two lawful, or three has any merit whatsoever. What a bizarre world we live in. 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls coming up very shortly. As we said, uh, Edinburgh Court has said, the Court of Session uh, basically has ruled that uh, the prorogation of Parliament by the Prime Minister Boris Johnson is unlawful. Go figure. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, um, here we are and here we go again because Parliament suspension ruled unlawful is the big headline that I'm seeing all over the place and you will read about all over the place tomorrow morning, of course. We are with you until one o'clock. We are bringing you the breaking news as it happens. It doesn't appear to have made much difference, even though there's lots of lawyers wearing very expensive suits, jumping up and down, saying how important this is for democracy. Let's talk to Steve McCabe, a man who knows a thing or two about democracy. Steve, very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Well, I tell you what, I was ready to do other things this morning. I was ready to talk about other stories. I was ready to talk about you know, dirigible boats coming here from France full of uh, illegal immigrants. I was ready to talk about all manner of different stories. But here we are again, back on the front foot. Three judges in Edinburgh decide that proroguing Parliament is unlawful, but it doesn't seem to matter. Well, I, I mean, I think it matters in a legal, technical sense. Uh, I mean... Precisely. <laughs> you know, he's the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. If uh, the Court of Session in Edinburgh rules that his actions are illegal, this is another challenge to the law from our Prime Minister who seems to think the law doesn't apply to him. But in practical terms, it's hard to see how it's going to make any difference. Parliament isn't sitting and we're where we are. Well, that's the thing. I mean, also, let's not forget that while they're uh, besmirching the good name of Boris Johnson, and I say that with my tongue firmly in my cheek, Steve, in case you think I've gone mad, um, what, he's, what they're also doing is besmirching the good name of the Queen, aren't they? Because they're basically saying to the Queen, you signed a bill, you gave your royal assent to a bill, which was actually unlawful. Well, I'm, I'd really like, I'm not a lawyer, but I'd really like to see exactly why you know, what the court's reasons are. My guess is, if you remember correctly, the argument just a couple of days ago was that, uh, that uh, the government may have misled the Queen as to the reasons for 
suspending Parliament. And if the court has come to the same conclusion, that would be a rational explanation for for them saying that what Boris Johnson and Rees Mogg had done was wrong. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Because you can never really prove that in any way, shape or form, unless we go down the route of basically subpoenaing every single communication that has ever taken place between everyone who has ever been in the government. Well, yes, but the Prime Minister's chief advisor believes that's what you can do. He can take anyone's personal phone and look at it when it suits him. So if it's good for him, it's good for the rest of us. Well, I'm not sure, though, that you could actually get that through a court, and I'm not sure that you could access all <laughs> no, of it. No, I'm not sure you could either, That's mate. the problem. You get my point. You that's, get my point. That's the problem. We, we, I mean, I'm, I'm sick to death of lawyers. When, when you say to me, I'm not a lawyer, I, you know, I basically cheer <laughs> to the rafters because I'm sick to death of lawyers. You know, all they do is they, you oh. know, interfere in things, they stop things from happening, they complicate matters... Everything that I've ever done that involved a lawyer would have been a lot simpler if the lawyers hadn't got involved. <laughs> well, I'm sure there is some truth now, but you have to. You know, if we end up in this Brexit mess and all these things that people told us would be dead easy turn out to be dead complicated, of course it's going to be a field day for lawyers. What do any of us expect? You know, and that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, but I think the problem is is that they've made it difficult. I mean, you and I have spoken about this many times, Steve, and I want to get on in a minute to what Tom Watson said today and what Keir Starmer has said, because there seems to now be a bit of a split in the Labour Party about whether they want to have a second referendum. Surely before... not. You're having me on. I know. Well, I mean, if it splits any more, we'll have to get the, uh, get the carpenters in, you know. But here's the thing. Um, you know, what I don't understand is why it's possible for everyone to sit around in Westminster and keep saying how difficult it is and how impossible it is when it's the job of MPs to make it work. That's, that's basically what you're charged with doing. Well, most of us would actually quite like to be sitting there trying to make it work at the moment, but, you know, it is, this is the, where we came in. It's because the Prime Minister won't let us sit because he's scared of the place that we're in this predicament. Well, you could, well I mean, I'm, I'm afraid at this point I'm going to have to say you could, of course, have a general election and prove that you're not scared of him. Yes, we could have a general election, but uh, as you well know, the reason why we are, we are in pain, people like me are in favour of delaying that, is I don't want them to be able to sneak us out on no deal by the back door while the election's taking place. But surely he can't do that now. Out. I mean, you guys said, and Jeremy Corbyn said, and I'm not going to make you stand over his words, but he said, once this bill is passed into law, then we can have an election. The bill has been passed into law, and he's still saying we can't have one. Yeah, because we promptly then heard the government say they, they weren't sure they would obey the law. Yeah, but so, I mean, it's, it's a game of chicken, really, isn't it? Well, we'll be right back with the lawyers, I can assure you. I, I <sighs> can see. I mean, this is very circular, I get that. But, you know, that's no my fault. Dear God. I, feel, I think I should just go back to Portugal, where I was very happily ensconced <laughs> until last Tuesday. Yeah, you'd be much better there. Yeah. It is nicer there, I have to say. Nobody mentioned Brexit at all. Let's have a listen to what Tom Watson said this morning uh, about the second referendum scenario. Boris Johnson has already conceded that the Brexit crisis can only be solved by the British people. But the only way to break the Brexit deadlock, once and for all, is a public vote in a referendum. A general election could fail to solve Brexit chaos. Now, forgive me for not keeping up, Steve, but I can't remember whether you were pro a second referendum or not. I don't think you were, were you? Well, look, I think we have got to the stage. This is my view. I think that what's eventually put on offer as the deal on which we can leave 
will bear so little resemblance to what was said in 2016 <laughs> that I think there is an argument for saying to folk, look, this is, it. this is the reality. Do you want it or not? Yeah. I think it might be the easiest way to get this thing out of the system once and for all. Can we not maybe get some kind of subscription-style system put in, whereby if you don't pay it uh, and, you, and the subscription just kind of runs out after a while? Because that's what it feels like. It feels like we're running down the old Sunday Times uh, uh, online uh, subscription. Well, you know? I, as I said to someone earlier, look, that sounds a pretty crackpot idea, so it's as good as any other <laughs> one I've heard recently. Oh, incredible, isn't it? Because that's the problem here. I don't believe that Tom Watson is right to say that a second referendum will solve anything. I mean, he might be right that a general election might not solve anything because you might end up with the same numbers, you might end up with the same kind of uh, nonsense where there is no um, effective government with a majority but large enough to make anything happen but similarly if you were to do a second referendum which tom watson now says he wants you'd have to have so many kind of uh, caveats attached to it such as for example i would suggest somebody will try and put on it must have at least a 60 percent uh, yes or no in order for it to, to work it would have to have all sorts of different questions on it more than a binary choice because that's what everybody moaned about it would have to try and take into account all of the possible deals that might be done i mean it's a i mean talk about a, 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 an impossibility wrapped inside an enigma and thrown in the river uh, in a locked case well look this is what I think he's getting at. The danger of having a general election where all sorts of other factors should really be the judgment that people make. The danger of having a general election where the uncertainties over Brexit become the dominant feature does suggest that you could end up with a general election where we're no further forward. And I think that's what he's pointing out. Yeah. The, the, the argument for a second referendum, in my judgment, now I can't speak for him, but in my judgment is, the only argument that would make it sane would be to say, this is the final deal, this is Brexit. Now you said you wanted to leave, do you want to leave now that you know what it means or have you changed your mind? That's the only way I can see we can get it out of the system. Uh, otherwise, you know, the lawyers, the late-night sittings, the paroguing of Parliament, the extensions and the arguments about who said what well, are going to... You know, we'll be... We, my, my son will be having this conversation with your successor, you know. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, I, mean I, I, I love the fact that you're trying to find a way through this, but I, I don't accept your, uh, your solution because you can't say to people, do you, do you still want to leave? Because that still would leave the, the, the open question, well, how do you want to leave? No, I'm saying that you, what you would have to say to people is, this is the deal, this is what we really means, do you still want it? Yeah, but we don't know what that is, though. No, well, I'm saying you couldn't have it. You couldn't have the <laughs> referendum until you get... That's the whole argument. Boris Johnson is the architect of Brexit. It is his job to go to Brussels and secure the final deal. That's why all the rubbish about running away and no deal doesn't count. It's his job to go and secure the final deal and then we would be in a position to say to people, here it is, this is what it means. Right. It might look, instead of being an old singing colour slimline TV, it might be a wee box with black and white squiggly lines, but this is it, this is what it means. Do you want it or not? But you see, my problem with that is that one, I'm not sure he can ever get that sort of deal that can be presented as such 
Two, if he does get that deal, it will be, as everybody has now more or less accepted, a movable feast, because any deal that you do is never finite, right? It's always going to have to run over into other areas. There's going to be other negotiations that are going to take place in the future. There will always be a question about something. You know, for example, well, what are we going to do about... I don't know, fishing, if that's not in the deal. What are we going to do about mm. Northern Ireland if that's not in the deal? You know, is he going to build, a, bri is he going to build a bridge? I love the... I mean, you, uh, you being a Scot must love the idea of having a bridge to link yourself up to Northern Ireland. It'll presumably ruin the 18th hole at Turnbury, won't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it'll do for the goal. <laughs> You're quite right. It'll certainly make marching season interesting because they can just march across it, right? Yeah. Well, I think that... You know, that's got great potential. We could have overnight marches. And, you know, there's no end to the potential there. Look, I, I, I simply make the point that when Boris Johnson was leading the referendum campaign, he told us he could secure a deal. When he was running for the leadership of the Tory party, he told us he was the man to get a deal. He is now the prime minister. Uh, I, I can foresee the difficulties that you're outlining, but according to him... They are all capable of being addressed. So I think he should go on and do what he's promised. He is the Prime Minister. If he can't get a deal, then the obvious conclusion is nobody can. Yeah, well, indeed. And he has said, and he repeatedly says, that he believes that he will get a deal. And proroguing Parliament, albeit that it has now been called unlawful by the Scottish court, um, is not much different from what, it, what happens every year when conference seasons are going on, is it? Well, I don't think it happens for five weeks. I think that is the simple point. I think it happens for a few days. I mean, what he's... What he's well, asked, it usually happens for a couple of weeks, doesn't it? Yes, well, of course, this year, the, the assumption on everybody's part was, A, that we would sit longer and that we would shorten the conference season because this thing is so damned important and we're so near the deadline and we need to get it concluded. Instead, he does the exact opposite and he extends the period that we don't sit. I think that's what that argument is fundamentally about. And it would appear he extends it because he doesn't want to be put in the awkward position of having to explain himself. Yeah. And, I mean, the problem for me now, though, Steve, is, is as I'm sure that you see this the same way, I can't actually see any way out of this at the moment. Well, I mean, this is why people are suggesting things. This is why people like Tom Watson are suggesting things that, that they think might be the way out. Because, you know, what we have learned, this is absolutely true, what we have learned after three and a half years is that none of the promises about how easy it would be have turned out to be true. None of the claims about how simple the trade arrangements would be have turned out to make any sense at all. Uh, and, you know, we're in this ridiculous situation where, actually, I think the truth is most people in the country have just given up. I, I speak in my constituency to leavers who say, oh, I'm fed up, I don't care, I could remain, and to remainers who say, oh, I've given up, I don't just care, I've finished, I don't care what happens. I think people have fundamentally had enough. Mm. I think they're wondering why on earth the things that really matter have all been sidelined. And, we're, you know, you talked uh, this morning about the illegal immigration. Actually, a very interesting government announcement about a total change on overseas students this morning as well. That's yes. the biggest about face I can recall. Yes, this Probably. is that they're going to lengthen the time for which they can stay here after they finish their course, right? Yeah. So, I mean, look, there are lots of things, you know, in my constituency, there are lots of things that matter. But on the other hand, the government's own reports do show 
that if we were to leave with no deal, the West Midlands would be the second hardest hit region in the country. It would really damage jobs. We would be in real trouble. And, and you know, when people like me or Tom Watson raise these issues, we're not just, you know, kind of getting out of bed and saying, oh, what do I talk about this morning? You know, there is some seriousness in this. And I come back to the point, Boris Johnson was the architect of Brexit. He was the foreign secretary when the negotiations started. He's now the prime minister. If, if there is one man in the country who should be capable of securing a deal, it's him. Why doesn't he just do it? Well, he's not allowed to do it because you lot won't let him. And that is the bare, the bare bones of it. At the end of the day, Steve, you know as well as I do that the problem with the argument has been that there's been a lot of disingenuous things said on both sides of the aisle, you know, where you've got the ERG group refusing to vote for a, a, a deal to leave the European Union because it's not leaving the European Union as far as they are concerned. You've also got the front bench of the Labour Party confusing the hell out of everybody by saying, you know, they would get a better deal and then they'd have a second referendum to campaign against the deal that they themselves got. <laughs> well, look, I'm not going to try to <laughs> pretend... <laughs> look, there are certain things that you don't want to defend. I have to say that I think the chances, if there's going to be a deal at all, if we're going to have any way out, he has to secure this in the next 40-odd, 50 days. Uh, and, you know... It seems to me, if he really, really wants to get this monkey off our back, then what we have to do is actually separate it out from the wider issues that should be determined in a general election. People should be able to decide who they want to form the government, and we should go on with that. And the easiest thing, in my view, would be to have a quick and simple confirmatory vote. Here's my deal. This is it. This is the absolute end of the story. Now that you know all the facts, do you want it or do you not? But I would you that... honestly, could you honestly tell me that if that happened, people like Joe Swinson would sit down and go with it? Because I don't think she would. Well, you know, I mean, I can't really tell you what anyone else would do. I mean, we, you know, we, we did, some of us did think way back in whenever it uh, was, uh, what was it, 73 or 70. 75 when we had the the uh, this the, the in or out referendum uh, that that we settled it then but then there are people sitting in parliament now who proceeded to spend the next uh, 40 odd years campaigning to get us out there are some people who just never accept an outcome well is your you know? is your mate and mine Stephen Doughty you know who's still yet to produce the thousands of emails that he promised me from people who said that they wanted to leave and now they want to stay you know he's the man that says well you can't just measure democracy in a 24-hour period <laughs> well I mean it is it is true that there are certain things you must know this as well I mean there are certain things where if you ask people that are viewing the aftermath of some specific event and they're all hit up, they might tell you something that's slightly different from the more considered view in the morning. And I think, you know, I think Stephen's point... But, you know, I I've, I've, no, I've lived my life pretty much like that, to be honest, uh, yeah, Steve. I, I, people, like, <laughs> people like you must be an exception. I'll concede that. But, uh, nah, but, I mean, I just think that the, the argument about this referendum, for what it's worth, is... It was, what, three and a half years ago. Some of the folk who took part have died. Some of the folk um, who were deprived the chance to take part would certainly be eligible now. It isn't absolutely clear, given that what we were promised then and what is reality now is so different. 
that we can constantly spend our lives saying, oh, well, that was the determining vote and, you know, we should abide by it come whatever. You know, when things change, smart people change their mind as well. They do. And it looks smarter and smarter now to leave rather than to stay. But listen, Steve, I've got to leave you there because we've got to get on. Thank you very much indeed. Steve McCabe, Labour MP for Birmingham, Selly Oak. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.